Uh, if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 4. We're just going to look at one verse today, so Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. And as we get started, I, I, you know, my, um, my thought process, my natural tendency in life is I'm one of those people who just naturally looks for the road that is most traveled. You've heard about the road less traveled. And my, I really think it's sort of like my mantra in my mind is there's got to be an easier way. And so that's just sort of, uh, yeah, I, I really believe this. I believe I was built for comfort. And uh, that's just sort of my natural tendency. But that is, you know, comfort is not something that is always good for you. Uh, there was a study that was done at the University of California. And what they did is they took an amoeba and they put it in a perfect environment. It had the right amount of moisture, made sure that it had the right, uh, right amount of nutrients. There was nothing that was, that was in the environment of that amoeba that would do any harm to it. But something interesting happened to that amoeba. It ended up dying, which I thought was interesting. And so the conclusion that came from the scientists, they said that it doesn't matter what form of life that there is, whether it be an amoeba or a person, that every form of life needs some sort of challenge in order to be able to survive. And as I, I thought about that, I thought, you know, it's interesting to me that as we look into the world today, because we are doing this series right now called Counterculture, and as we look into the world today, it seems like everything that we have going on, on, on in our world today is we're trying to do whatever we can to make sure that we have comfort at all cost. You know, we, we don't want anybody to be offended. We don't, want to, we don't want to do anything that would bother anybody if that means that we're going to ignore the truth because we're afraid it might, it might hurt somebody's feelings or might go against what they believe in. We are willing just about to sacrifice even the truth for comfort. And as I look at that, I begin to realize that this has also impacted or infected even our religious beliefs. Now, in our religious beliefs today, what, what is a part of culture today is to say, it doesn't matter who you worship, it doesn't matter who you follow, we are all equal. Everything is going to be okay. It all comes out in the wash anyway. We all end up worshiping the same God, so it just doesn't matter. But, but I have a problem with that whenever I read to see what the Bible has to say about that. And then that makes me ask the question, can a Christian, can a believer adopt that worldview and be okay according to what Scripture says? And, and I have to say that the answer to that is a resounding no. And so that's why we are continuing our series called Counter Culture. And we're going to see from the Bible that there is only one God. That there is only one path to salvation and it only comes through Jesus. Now, I know that it's a lot more comfortable, it's a lot easier to say, hey, everybody's going to be okay in the end. I mean, I personally, that makes me feel good. That sounds good to me. But even though that might make me feel good, there's a problem with that, and that is that man's ways are not anything like God's ways. Uh, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Now, today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see the disciple Peter. He makes this really bold statement about Jesus in Acts 4.12. And he shares with us, in that one statement, some things that make Jesus very special. Now, just to let you know, Acts 4.12 is a verse that goes against the grain of what culture says. Because this verse today lets us know that Jesus stands out above all other gods. As a matter of fact, he stands above all other gods. And we're going to see from this one verse that Jesus is the true path to salvation. Now I know this, 
that, that the message like this, for a lot of people, it's offensive. It bothers some people to hear that. And, and, I, and I will say this, that's okay. Because I believe, I believe that there are times when we need to be challenged. I believe there are times whenever we need to stand up and just simply speak truth. Now, not mean, not to be mean, but just simply to speak truth. And so we're going to look at Acts 4.12. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background information about what's taking place in this one verse, it's at this point in our text where Jesus had already been crucified. But then three days later, you know, something rather magnificent happened. It was the very first Easter. And so Jesus rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. And as you can imagine, his disciples who followed Jesus, they saw him dying across. They're absolutely destroyed. And then three days later, Jesus conquers death. Now, they got really excited about this, as I'm sure that you would too. I mean, a guy was dead. Now he's alive again. They're all jacked up. And Peter and John, they're so excited about this, they go to the temple area and they start preaching about Jesus. Now remember, it's the religious leaders of the day, just a few weeks before, they were the ones who had had Jesus arrested, had him crucified. And now all of a sudden, Peter and John, they're right out there within earshot of all the religious leaders, and they're speaking about Jesus. And they're saying some incredible things about him. Now the religious leaders, they, they got ticked off, as you can imagine. And so they had Peter and John arrested. And they're trying to do whatever they could in order to intimidate them, to shut them up, but instead, what we see is in Acts 4.12, Peter makes this incredible statement, and he points out a few things that make Jesus so special. So that, that's where we're going to go today. I just very briefly want to share with you, according to Scripture, why Jesus is special. Now, why is he special? Why does he stand above all other gods? Why is he somebody that we gather here every Sunday in order to worship? Well, here's the very first thing that we find out from Peter. First of all, Jesus is special because he is exclusive. Jesus is exclusive. Now, look with me in verse number 12. It says, there is salvation in no one else. It's an exclusive statement. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Now when you talk about exclusivity today, that is a bad word in our culture today. The, the word that we all like to use today to make everybody feel good is we like to use the word inclusive. But whenever it comes to God, whenever it comes to the path to God, I want you to know that it is very exclusive. The way to get to God is an exclusive path. Peter boldly proclaimed this in this one verse. He said, there is no other name. He said, there is only one God. Now, that might seem like it's offensive, but I, I want you to know something. This is something that has been said, really, since the beginning of this book. If you remember the Ten Commandments, do you remember what the very first commandment is? If you don't, I'm here to remind you. Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. It says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have any other gods besides me. That's exclusive. Very first commandment. Now, we look in our text, Peter said salvation is found in no one else. Now, that is counterculture today. Peter did not say, hey, listen, it doesn't matter who you worship. It all comes out in the wash anyway, the end. That's not what he said. He said it greatly matters. 
who you worship. It greatly matters who you believe God is. Now, looking at that on the surface, I understand that that can be bothersome. And there's times when it bothers me. It makes me think of, well, what about people that don't worship the God of this Bible? Well, what about the people that don't worship Jesus? I mean, how in the world can we say that we're right and everybody else is wrong? I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't seem nice. You know, and it kind, of, it kind of makes you kind of wonder, well, what about everybody else? And so we try to, we try to soften that up. I mean, that's my, and that is my nature. I want to soften that up to make, that, to make it feel better for everybody else. But, but here's the thing. Exclusivity is not something that's just simply related to religion. Exclusivity is seen all the time. Another word for exclusivity is, is truth. And it's just truth. You know, I don't have to always agree with the truth, but you know what? It doesn't matter if I agree with it or not. I mean, it's still true. You know, if, if you don't believe me, let, let, go on top of a building and jump off of a building. What truth are you going to discover when you jump off a building? You're going to discover the truth of gravity. Now, you don't have to believe in it. That's okay. But let me tell you something. You're still going to experience it. Truth is simply truth. When you go to school, you learn about truth in school you know, for the most part. The other times whenever I took tests and, and I didn't agree with the correct answer because I didn't put it on there. But it doesn't matter if I believed in it or not. My teacher still took out a red pen and she wrote all over it and she told me that I was wrong. Now, I didn't have to agree with her, but it still affected my grade. Now, the religious leaders of the day, they did not believe that Jesus was God. And there are some people that you and I know that don't believe Jesus is God either. And, and, that, and that is a decision they get to make because God allows us to make decisions on our own. But we have to understand that when we make choices and when we make decisions, there are consequences that always come with the decisions that we make. Now, I know some people who aren't followers of God. They don't believe in who Jesus is. They say he was a good teacher. You know, Jesus was a nice man. But he's not God. And he never even claimed to be. And then I think, well, you haven't read this book. Because in this book, it, Jesus talks about himself being God. The disciples talk about him being God. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. John 18, 36 through 38. This is what Jesus said. And Jesus is standing before Pilate, getting ready to be crucified. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. Pilate asked, you're a king then? Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. He said, I was born for this, and I've come to the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate asked, well, what is truth? Well, Jesus answered that question in John 14, 6, when he's talking to his disciples. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That word except can also be translated, it is only through me that you come into a relationship with God. Now, now truth, even if you don't believe in it, is something that can rescue you. It's something that can save your life. You know, imagine if you, if you go to the doctor. You know, what if you went to the doctor and the doctor does an exam on you and he tells you, he said, man, I, tell, I have never seen anybody that's in the greatest shape as you are. I mean, you are like a Greek god. You have the body of an Olympian. 
Now, I mean, who wouldn't enjoy I mean, I would love to hear that and not hurt it, but that would be great. Now, the doctor said, I said, you're in great shape. And then I left, and let's say a couple of days later, I'm just walking down the street, and I just fall to the ground because my heart gives out. And then I'm in the hospital, and what happened? And the doctor comes to visit me, and, then the, and, 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 you know, and I just found out that I was one jelly-filled donut away from you know, the Grim Reaper. And I'm like, well, what, doctor, why, why did you tell me that I'm in great shape? And the, and the doctor says, well, because I knew that would offend you. That if I told you you had the body of the Pillsbury Doughboy. You know, I didn't want to tell you that. I don't want to lose patience. I wanted you to feel good about yourself. Now, when it, none of us would like that because when it comes to our health, you know what we want? We want truth. You know, when it comes to eternity, one thing we want to hear is we want to hear truth. And Peter said what makes Jesus special is he is exclusive. But there's something else that makes Jesus special, and it's this. He is generous. Jesus is generous. Verse number 12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Now, when you talk about exclusivity and you talk about generosity, those don't seem to be two things that go together. I mean, how can you say that Jesus is generous when it seems like that what he's saying is it's either my way or the highway? Now, that doesn't seem like a very generous proposition. Now, it's true that the way to Jesus is exclusive. It doesn't seem very generous. Jesus said, I am the only way. But the offer, oh, it is very generous. Jesus says, I'm the only way, but my path is open to all. Scripture says this, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, what does it say? That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus himself said in John 6, 47, I assure you, anyone who believes has eternal life. That is an offer that is generous because the offer of salvation goes out to everybody. So, so what do we say here? We say that Jesus is generous. I mean, the middle of verse number 12 says this, there is no other name under heaven given to people. That word given, it means to bestow a gift. Now, a gift is not a payment. You know, a real gift is not a payment. It's not a bribe. A real gift is just what it says. It's just a gift. It's not something that someone earns. It is given because of someone's grace. They might say, well, why do I need God to be generous with me in his offer? Well, it's because of sin. Sin has created a debt in our lives that we can't pay for ourselves. That's what Romans 3.23 says. We all have the debt. Romans 3.23 tells us that every one of us has sinned. We have missed the target that God has in mind for us. Now, I think a lot of people think, well, if I do more good things than bad things, then I'm going to be okay. So I really don't need God's generosity. I can take care of things myself. There's a Sunday school teacher that was teaching her kindergarten class about how to go to heaven. And so she was testing them to see if they've been paying attention. And she said, now, am I going to go to heaven if I'm really nice to my husband and I cook him every meal that he wants every day? Will that get me to heaven? 
Her entire class said, no, that won't get you to heaven. She said, well, what if I, what if I um, sell my house and I sell my car and I empty my bank account and I go to the church and I give all my money to the church? Will that get me into heaven? And the pastor said, yes. No, I'm kidding. And, the, and all the kids heard that and the, and the kids said, no, that won't, that won't get you into heaven. And so finally she says, well, well what, if, what, what is it that's going to get me into heaven? If those things don't get me into heaven, what, what do I have to do? The little boy raised his hand. He said, you've got to die first. Now, now that's a boy that's, that's very practical. But, but there's something else that has to happen. And it's not just simply death. I mean, that's true. But what has to happen is, is you have to have your debt of sin paid for. Now, there's a lot of people who believe if, if I do more good things than bad things, then I can pay for that debt. Now, that sounds good, but there's a problem with it scripturally. And, and that's the idea of this lesson. As we go in counterculture, it's not, we're not going by what we feel. We need to know, well, what does, what does scripture say? Well, it doesn't say you do more good things than bad things and you're square with God. Listen to what James 2.10 says. It says, for whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point is guilty of breaking it all. Now, think about that. All it takes is one sin to mess up your righteousness account. Just one sin and you're done. Now Romans 3.23 says we are all guilty. Now here, here's an example for you. Um, a few years ago, I was pulled over for speeding. It's been a long time. I haven't had tickets since, but I got pulled over for speeding. Now, when I, I, I actually went to the, I wanted to get my points down, so I actually went to the, you know, went to the courthouse, and I was standing there. Now, this is what the, uh, the judge did not do this. The judge didn't look at my record and say, hey, I see you've never killed anybody. I, I see that you've never been arrested for stealing. So because you've done more good things than bad things, no fine. You think that happened? Wouldn't that be great if it did? It doesn't happen. You know, what the, you know what the judge did? He said, hey, I see that you've been speeding here. And here's how much your ticket is going to be. I had to pay a price. Even though I've done, I've done more, you know, the, with those two things, more good things than bad things, I still had to pay a price. That's, that's what sin does. You know, sin, sin makes you pay a price. There's always a price to pay. And that should make sense to us because that's true in life. It's true also with God. What's the price? Romans 6.23 says it's death. It says a separation from my God. Therefore, what I need is I need someone to step into my place and take care of that debt for me. And if they're going to do that, that's a very generous gift. Well, that's what Jesus did. He stepped in and paid that price for us when he went to the cross. Listen to what Galatians 3, 13 and 14 says. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. And the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. It's generous. But as with any gift, before, before that gift takes effect into my life, in your life, what has to happen? We have to receive it. We have to take it. We have to open it. And so what, what makes Jesus special? Well, he's exclusive. He's generous. You remember Peter saying all this to the religious leaders who wanted Jesus dead, and they accomplished that, but then he messed everything up and rose from the grave. And Peter boldly stands before them and says, I want you to know my Jesus, he's exclusive. My Jesus, he is generous. And he says this, this is why he's special. 
My Jesus is special because he delivers. He delivers. Verse 12. There's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You know, somebody who makes promises and delivers on them, that is, that's very rare. Yeah, man, our world is real long on promises and very short on delivery. What, and I've told you before, I love infomercials. They just, man, and I'm a sucker. But let me tell you something. Long on promises, short on delivery. Just take this pill, and you're going to lose weight. You, you don't have to exercise. You don't have to change your diet. Take this pill, and you're going to look good. Uh, my grandmother actually bought into this. I remember, some of y'all might remember these little machines. Y'all remember the machines that just like you stood on, it was like a scale, had a belt around it, and you just flipped the switch, and it would shake you. Exercise without moving. Get on, this, get on this machine, and the weight will just drop off of you. You can sit there and do that. You could eat like a piece of pie and lose weight. It was amazing. But here's the deal. It never worked. Isn't that incredible? Long on promises, very short on delivery. Now, here's what makes Jesus special. Jesus made promises, and he always delivered. Jesus made a promise that he was coming to rescue man. Now, I love, I love from the very beginning of Jesus' birth into our world, whenever an angel came to Joseph, his dad, and told him, said, listen, Mary is going to, be, is going to have a child. She's going to conceive by the, by the Spirit of God. And the angel told, told Joseph this. In Matthew 121, it says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You know what the name Jesus means? It means Yahweh, or God, saves. So from the very beginning, Jesus' primary purpose was to rescue people from their sins. I mean, you read throughout the, the Gospels, the four Gospels, you'll see that is Jesus' primary purpose all throughout the Gospels. Whenever you look in the Bible, you'll see whenever Jesus came across people who were hungry, you know what Jesus did? He delivered them from their hunger, gave them something to eat. Whenever Jesus came across people who were broken physically, you know what Jesus did? He healed. He delivered people from their brokenness. Whenever Jesus came across people who were hopeless, Jesus provided them with hope. He delivered them from their hopelessness. Now the context of our text today is Peter and John are standing before the religious leaders of the day who just weeks before had put Jesus on a cross. Now the reason why they're standing before these men is because Peter and John had made the big mistake. They came across a man who was lame and they healed him. And that made the religious leaders nervous because they had seen Jesus do the same thing. And so they began to say, they said, in whose name are you doing these miraculous things? And Peter boldly said, we're doing it in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is the deliverer. When people are broken, Peter said, Jesus delivers. And he was saying more than that as well. He was saying whenever, whenever people are broken by sin, he was saying Jesus is the only one who can deliver. He boldly spoke about Jesus. He said he's special. Now the question for you and me today is this. Are we in need of deliverance? I talk to a lot of people who are, they are broken, they are beat up, 
and they're carrying baggage because of their past. And there's some people who are weighed down by what they've done in the past, who are weighed down in the present by the sin that they have in their life, by anger and guilt and bitterness and certain actions, and it's affected every area of their lives, and they are in bondage. Here's what makes Jesus special. He delivers. He delivers people. The Bible says, it always says this, all throughout Scripture. Isaiah 1, 18 and 19, Come, let us discuss this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they're as red as crimson, they will be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. People are in bondage, but Jesus says, I deliver. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ... He becomes a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Your past and your present doesn't have to be the determining factor for your future because Jesus delivers. And that's the great news I want to share with you today. We talk about Jesus. Y'all, he matters. Now, does it matter what God you worship? Does it matter? Because it's, all, it's, it's just all going to work out in the wash. Guys, let me tell you something. Jesus is special because he's exclusive. He is the only way to God, but he's generous. And if you trust him, he delivers. That, that's, that's his name. God saves. And he only saves through Jesus. Now, is that counterculture? Yep. But is it true? You better believe it. Jesus is the only way. Now the question is, do you need deliverance? Now there could be some of you who say, I, I need deliverance. I need Jesus to rescue me. You know, the, his name Jesus means God saves them. Some of you say, I, I need God to save me. Because I am a wreck. And you know, spiritually, I'm not sure where I'd spend an eternity. Then take, take the good news of Peter. And trust Jesus. So how do I do that? Talk to say, Jesus, today I'm trusting you. Jesus, today I'm believing in you. Jesus, today I am asking you to save me. And if you do that, you know what Jesus does? He delivers. And there could be others of you who are believers, but there are sins that you have in your past, things that you have done that are weighing you down. What can you do? Trust Jesus. He delivers. It could be you just simply need to talk to him and call out to him for forgiveness. And call out to God and say, Lord, I I pray that you will will rescue me from this sin because it is dominating my life. And then trust him. Now, I'd say that another step that's important to take as well, obviously that's the most important step, but you know one of the great things to do is to surround yourself with people of God who can hold you accountable, who can cheer you on. You know, one of the ways we do that in our church is through our V group ministry. It's part of our care ministry here in the church. You might say, well, how do I get involved in one of those? Look in your bulletin, and there's that contact form in there. You can fill it out. Say, I'd like to know, have more information about V groups, and put that in the basket as you're walking out. Guys, we want people to discover that there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, and it is the name of Jesus. Counterculture, but it's true.